George Floyd! George Floyd! George Floyd! A week ago, George Floyd, a 46-year-old African-American, was arrested outside a convenience store in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Within an hour, he was dead. He's saying he can't breathe, and gradually, as you watch, he, he loses consciousness. It's just the most shocking thing. George Floyd's death has lit a fire across America, as city after city is rocked by protests, looting, curfews, and riot police. 2020 has been hell. It seems like we're losing black lives by the week or by the month. It's literally happening over and over, and it almost feels like it's a test to see if we're gonna erupt. Why did this death spark the biggest protests since the 1960s? And what are the changes the protesters are demanding to see? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, I can't breathe. The protests storming across America. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. This is Roundabout Season 2, and we're back to share more stories from the road and the memories made along the way. We're talking rest stops. If we're stopping to get gas, you will be timed. (laughs) (laughs) You will be right. Misguided plans. I grew up in the city, so I have, like... You know, a healthy fear of real extreme darkness. <laughs> this was like wilderness. A lot of laughs. Y'all weird, but you, <laughs> yeah, you, you were different. Like, you were real different, bro. I can't really put my finger on it. And so much more. Just goes to show that unexpected yeah. things sometimes are the best when it comes to a road trip. Roundabout Season 2, presented by Nissan, is live now with new episodes rolling out every Thursday. Listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com I headed straight from the airport to a peaceful protest which was happening outside a delicatessen called Cup Foods, which is where George Floyd was killed on Memorial Day. Laura Pullman is the Sunday Times New York correspondent. On Friday, she arrived in Minneapolis to cover the growing protests and to find out more about the protesters. It wasn't what I was expecting, to be honest. The sun was shining, there was gospel music blaring out of speakers. There were a lot of barbecues with people handing out free food. 
there was an artist with an easel who was doing a portrait of George Floyd and the atmosphere was incredibly positive. It was certainly a protest and occasionally there were chants that would go up chanting George Floyd's name or chanting justice for George. But it was clearly a celebration of his life as well. On the Saturday when I woke up and headed out, there was hours and hours of peaceful protests. When I turned up at about 4.30 or so on the Saturday afternoon, there were thousands of people. This was a much, much bigger crowd. And there were a small group of people who were leading the protests who had megaphones. And it was peaceful. It was incredibly peaceful. And as the 8pm curfew approached, the people with the megaphones were really imploring people to stay calm and to stay peaceful. And they urged us all to sit down and we were chanting and listening but as 8pm approached the atmosphere is getting tenser and kind of fizzing with anticipation as to what is going to happen and I can't tell you how quickly it switched from an incredibly peaceful protest into absolute chaos. So it's 8.44 on Saturday evening and things have just got really out of control in and within 10 minutes there was fire gas being fired into the crowds by the riot police and there were fireworks being thrown back by the rioters and of course as soon as that starts and I was quite <laughs> close to the riot police at this point and I, I wasn't in a great spot <laughs> people are collapsing in pain I'm not quite sure what they've been hit by of course people then stampede and that's when it got really quite terrifying with people being trampled on the ground and, and tear gas is definitely in the air at this point um your eyes are just uh, incredibly painful as they're stinging and they're, and your eyes are running and you're pouring water into your eyes and uh, your throat is burning and um it was terrifying it was really terrifying um i better start running and of course there are different accounts as to who started what I first heard of this case when I saw the video, which was an incredibly shocking. Will Pavia is the Times New York correspondent. I spoke to him on Friday as the protests were spreading. It was 10 minutes long and it showed a black man in his 40s and he's lying face down beside the tyre of a police car and he's got his hands cuffed behind his back and there's a police officer kneeling on his neck and the police officer looked perfectly calm about this and... The police officer's partner is sort of pushing back the crowd and the lady who's taking the video is sort of appealing to the other police officer to get off George Floyd's neck. And you can see George Floyd, he's got his face right against the tarmac and he is, he's saying he can't breathe. And gradually, as you watch, he loses consciousness. It's just the most shocking thing. And it obviously caused a huge sort of uproar when it was seen and no one knew of a policing technique that involved kneeling on someone's neck and to see it was just just extraordinary and what happened when the video ends what happens afterwards the video ends and you see him being carted away and he died in hospital on friday police officer derek chauvin was arrested and has been charged with third-degree murder. He appeared in court yesterday. 
as this video went viral, people all over the country reacted. And you have people more or less on every side of the political aisle condemning what happened. This has been the longest week ever in history, so it's kind of hard to remember what days everything went down. But I think it was either Monday or Tuesday. I opened my phone and then saw the videos, the posts, everything that was discussing it. And Brandon Clayton is a 28-year-old African-American who lives in Minneapolis. He's been there since university. He was so moved by George Floyd's death that he went out and joined the protests. You almost become numb to the realities that this is what we face all the time. You see all the police shootings and unarmed black men getting killed. It seems like every day that to be trying to remain semi-sane, you almost have to become semi-numb to what's happening. But this one in particular was tough. I kind of made it my point to not really watch too many of those videos because it is traumatizing. I remember the Philando Castillo incident where the police shot him while he was in his car after asking him to show his identification. I watched that video and that traumatized me significantly. I had a a real breakdown after that. And ever since then, I kind of made a vow to myself that I wouldn't watch those videos. But with this George Floyd situation, you almost couldn't help but see the video. It was everywhere and it was on everybody's story. It was on everybody's timeline. And even though I didn't necessarily listen to the audio of it, because that was too painful, I still was able to see the video. The chanting of the phrase, I can't breathe, carries echoes of the past. Will Pavia explains its history. Eric Garner was a chap who lived in Staten Island, and he's black, and he was apparently selling loose cigarettes. Again, it's a, quite a sort of small, you know, small fry kind of offence. And he was arrested, this is in uh, 2014, and in the course of being arrested, there's quite a few police officers are on him, and one police officer wraps his arm around Eric Garner's neck using what's called a chokehold, which was a tactic that was supposed to have been gotten rid of. And you hear him on the ground. There was a, someone shot a video of this of him, and he's saying, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And that cry was taken up by Black Lives Matter protests. And actually, you heard it again beside the sort of lines of riot police in Minneapolis. It became a sort of metaphor for the way people felt about heavy-handed policing and the feeling that there was sort of racism in the way that these cases were handled. Eric Gardner's mother described hearing those words spoken by another man on the ground struggling for breath, and she said it was kind of haunting. She described just being very stunned to hear someone else saying the same thing. I come to stand in solidarity with the family and you all. As you know, this happened to me almost six years ago. And this is just opening up an old wound, pouring salt into it. It's easy to put yourself in their shoes. And so as a black man, that could have easily been me. The sad thing is that I'm a black man. I've never been suspended. I have a college degree. I am gainfully employed. I have checked all the boxes that America tells us that we should check in order to be deemed a quality citizen, especially as a black person. And none of that would have mattered if that was me. You know what I mean? I would have still been treated the same way that George Floyd was. And I think that's the thing that a lot of us have to deal with when we see those videos.
there's these false hopes that if I dress a certain way and I speak more articulately and I carry myself and I don't talk back and I comply with the orders and I don't resist arrest and I do all of these things that they say we should do in order to remain safe, there's this false hope that if we do all those things that we will be able to stay safe, but in reality, it doesn't matter. And I, and I think that's what is, is really fueling everybody's fires until we change the system that is being allowed to treat us this way it's going to continue to happen no matter how many you know false boxes that we continue to try to check and when you realize that you can feel one of two ways you can either feel hopeless which is what i'm sure a lot of people felt when they watched that video or you can feel enraged and i think there was a mix of both and there was enough enragement to lead to people starting to protest and march in the streets and then those marches turned into what has now been a global situation. The phrase, I can't breathe, which is being chanted at the protests, was one of the last things George Floyd said. What did it mean to you when you heard it? It's symbolic of the cry to be viewed and to be treated fairly that we've been doing for the past 400 years here in America. You know, we've been telling them that we can't breathe. America's founded on this principle that we're supposed to be uh, all created equal and that we all should have access to our inalienable rights and that we should be able to live and prosper and that there's this American dream that if you just come and pick yourself up by your bootstraps that everything will be okay. But that's not the reality that we've been experiencing. And so to live in America as a black man, it's, you, it's almost always feeling like you can't breathe. And to, so to hear him saying that and to see that it was not honored and that the officer didn't care at all, that he couldn't breathe and he knew what he was doing. You know, you don't put your knee on somebody's neck in any situation, especially if you are trying to just constrain him. But if you're trying to kill him, that's what you do. And that's been symbolic of what we've all been experiencing. It's like we can't breathe. And I think that those words res- really resonate with us, you know, as a people, because that's kind of how we've been feeling. Do you remember what it's like being in your 20s? I sometimes look back at that period of my life and laugh just as much as I cringe. If you do the same, then you've got to watch Queenie, the new original series on Hulu. Who is Queenie? Queenie is a 20-something year old living in London. She's facing all the firsts. First major heartbreak, first shitty apartment and soul-sucking job, first therapy session to work through those mommy issues. Can she turn her quarter-life crisis into a revolution? Maybe. Will she make some questionable decisions along the way? Definitely. The new series Queenie is now streaming on Hulu. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. 
Throughout Saturday, Laura Pullman from the Sunday Times spoke to protesters who were out on the streets. She could see that not all of those present were there to honour the memory of George Floyd. It is easy to spot the people who are the troublemakers. And there was some fencing where I saw a group of young, predominantly white guys who were carrying fireworks. And I also spoke to a guy who was fully covered, his face was fully covered with a balaclava and uh, gas masks and he had a tennis racket in his bag and he had all the kind of proper gear for violence to break out. But I've got on an N95, I've got a little veil over the top of that. I've also got another hood in the back just to make sure that I'm keeping all the tear gas out of my stuff. I mean, they banned tear gas from being used in wars how long ago? And we're still using it on our citizens. And while I was speaking to him, there was a girl in front of me who was about 20, I'd say, who was a white girl. And I noticed out of her backpack that there was a huge knife in her rucksack. If I was to guess, this was a machete, the blade, I could see the top of the blade and it was about the width of my palm. And that was terrifying because somebody I'd spoken to had seen somebody with an axe. But you think, right, well, an axe is potentially destroying property or hacking into ATMs or whatever. A machete does not feel like you're attacking a property. And I straight up asked her, why have you got such a large knife in your rucksack? And she spun around and just told off her friend for not properly doing up her rucksack and didn't explain herself any further. And as soon as the first tear gas canister comes in or the first firework goes off, you know that it's going to only get worse from there. The helicopters are obviously hovering overhead. The banging is incessant. There are sirens and... This was at a crossroads. So you run down a different crossroad away from the police and then you realise there are more police there. You're kind of panicking at this point because they're firing rubber bullets at anyone. My eyes were already streaming and in pain with tear gas. But I saw a, a man who was standing on his front doorstep and he kindly kind of motioned for me to come and hide in his front yard. So I hid behind a Wendy house as I watched this unfold. It was really strange and it was really interesting talking to him because he's obviously living right on the front line of all of this and it was that neighbourhood that had also gone up in flames literally on the Friday night as well. It's sad because I grew up here my whole life. And he had three children at home. I think there were two, five and seven. And he said to me, I'm black and I'm Native American, and I'm from poverty. The places that we need are all getting burnt down from this one man getting killed. And I do not want to see this happening. Let the justice system handle themselves. I kept kind of trying to go back out onto the street, and every time I did, the riot police would point their guns towards me, and I'd have to kind of dart back. Did you get a sense that there were people there who were just there to make trouble, who weren't necessarily there to protest the cause, but were looking for a fight. When I asked people why they had come out past the 8pm curfew, I got a lot of people who were saying to me that they were there for George Floyd and that they were there to fight for justice for George Floyd. I was outraged by the video I saw, and I know that the rest of the nation is... It was just very important that I stood up for my rights and I stood up for my brother's and my sister's rights. And we just want to be seen and we want to be heard and we want to feel like we matter. And of course, 
you know, I believed a lot of them to be absolutely speaking the truth. But there were certainly people who didn't seem to be interested in finding justice for for him. We're super bored. Like, yeah. we've been in our house for yeah. months. I spoke yeah. to a group of three white guys who were in their early 20s yeah, who said as much that, that that they were there for an adrenaline rush and um, they'd never been in trouble with the police before but this was really fun. You know, it's adrenaline. It's an adrenaline rush to get chased by the cops and shot at by rubber bullets. So that's what we're here for. We're adrenaline junkies. And they expressed no guilt that they might be undermining people's legitimate protests. So when I asked about who was responsible for starting the violence, I would get a range of responses. A lot of people were blaming the police for starting things. I know for a fact that that auto zone was burnt down by a police officer trying to instigate and make it look like these protests are violent or we're doing the wrong thing. A lot of people were blaming white supremacists for starting the trouble. I will tell you this, it will not be the protesters throwing tear gas at the National Guard. I will tell you this, it won't be the protesters shooting rubber bullets at the National Guard. I will tell you this. It won't be the protesters swinging batons at the National Guard. I mean, you saw a real cross-section across Minneapolis. Mm. Tell me, when you asked people about why they had come out, what kind of responses did you get? What were people saying? I was asking people initially just how they were feeling that this police killing had happened in their home city and people were expressing anger. And I kind of freaked out and then I found out it was George Floyd and that made me even more mad because he was a good guy in the community. And he actually helped his people, you know. They were expressing hurt, frustration, exhaustion. But none of the locals were expressing surprise that this had happened in their city. The whole 2020 has, like, been hell. And Mm. it seems like we're losing black lives by the week or by the month. It's literally happening Mm. over and over. And it almost feels like it's a test to see if we're going to erupt. So I think... A time like this, revolution is a must. There was one woman I spoke to who said this was a long time coming and lots of people were referencing different deaths that had happened in the state of Minnesota recently. So there's the case of Philandro Castile, who was a black man killed by a police officer in a traffic stop in 2016. It's just hard because honestly, just knowing somebody that... He's such a good human being getting murdered like that in front of his kid, you know? Yeah. And all these other black men that are murdered every day in the streets. And my dad even had a gun to his head at one point. And that's what scares me the most. It's like, why should we call you guys when we're in need when we're scared of you guys at the same time? So this was definitely about George Floyd and justice for George, but it was about much more than that. A lot of people said that they were there because they wanted it to be a first-degree murder charge against the police officer, Derek Chauvin, and that they were determined also for all four officers to be arrested and convicted. The four officers that were involved in this are charged and sentenced how they should be. I hope that in the future things like this don't happen. And people but people also saying- told me that they were there because they were determined that there was going to be wider, bigger change, that there was going to be more training for police officers across America, or that there was going to be more diversity in the police force. People also spoke to me about coronavirus. And there's a lot of soul searching that's going on in America right now, because coronavirus has hit America's black community. 
far harder. Like the the reason why why George was supposedly being arrested was because he used a counterfeit bill. Like people don't have enough money to feed themselves even during the coronavirus. Most crimes are, are crimes of necessity. One woman I spoke to who said we're fearful of police killing our sons and our brothers and we're fearful of coronavirus killing our elders. Did you get a sense of what people wanted from the protests? When I asked people how hopeful they were that these protests were going to affect change, I think they were encouraged by the scale of the protests across the country and they were also encouraged by the fact that all four officers involved were immediately fired and that there was a quick arrest of Derek Chauvin. But they also stressed that they'd been here many times before with protesting and that they were once having to go out again and resorting to violence in some instances and rioting to try and make their voices heard. I know these protests will bring about some type of change, but I I do, at the bottom of my heart, feel like it's just going to be like a small amount of change. I feel like this happens too commonly where we end up just like settling for whatever and it almost already seems that way by them giving him a third degree and not first degree and they still have yet to arrest the other three so i'm not really hopeful the absolute majority of people seem to want peaceful demonstrations and most of the black people I spoke to were hesitant to outright condemn the violence because they understand that anger but they were also frustrated that it distracted from the mission to fight for justice and effect change but the people I spoke to who were the rioters rather than the protesters were often quoting Martin Luther King and saying a riot is the language of the unheard and they were saying this is a necessary means to be heard and one teenage girl said to me if it wasn't for the rioting you wouldn't have come here to report and I couldn't argue with that. You're going out protesting at the moment. You're going night after night. What do you want to achieve? At what point would you feel like you can stop protesting now? What do you need to see happen? I think that what needs to happen is we have to have an accountability chain. Citizens need to abide by the laws but the police have to abide by the laws as well. And right now they are allowed to usurp their authority unchecked. Unless that has changed, we will continue to have these problems. And unless there's a deterioration of this good boy network, people love to say not all cops are bad, there are good cops. But prior to recently, the good cops have been pretty silent. You know, lately there have been a lot of cops coming out and speaking and saying like, this is wrong, we need to get justice. But prior to recently, that was not the case. What's it been like for you, where you are, watching the protests suddenly spreading to every other city? Firstly, across America, but all over the world, really, there have been protests taking place. What's it like when you're in Minneapolis watching it? I think it's really cool. Unless you're in, you know, the Midwest, people kind of view Minneapolis just like this small city, even though it's not a small city, and a predominantly white city, which it is, but a lot of people don't even realize there's black people here, you know, and so to see now that the rest of the country and the world at large is starting to see like number one there are black people here and number two minneapolis has a revolutionary spirit that is like equal to any other place in america i think that is pretty cool because no one had us pegged to be those people minneapolis is the quiet kid who can fight that you never knew who could fight and now 
we are leading a, a movement that has not been seen since probably the Rodney King thing or the civil rights movement. Like, obviously it's early in the game, so who knows what, what the implications of this could be, but just to see the way in which it's catching on, you know, all across the country and then in the world at large. I mean, I think I saw protests in London, protests in Asia, protests like all over the world. It's unbelievable that little old Minneapolis <laughs> was able to kind of bring about this kind of type of uh, change and this type of revolutionary spirit. As you watch cities across America now protesting and curfews being set, do you worry about where it might all end? I, I think there's so much uncertainty about what where things are headed, what's next, what links will the government go to try to, to, I guess, basically put us all back in our corners, and what links will we go as protesters to make sure that our voices are heard and that we don't go back to the status quo. I think there is some, some fear or some anxiety about where will this all lead and, and how will this all end. One thing's for certain is that this will be in history books. But how that story will be told and what the end result of that story will be is a mystery right now. Uh, and we just have to live it day by day. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, the New York correspondents for The Times and The Sunday Times, Will Pavia and Laura Pullman, and Brandon Clayton, a resident of Minneapolis. The producers were Edward Drummond and Leona Hamid. The executive producer is Leo Hornack, and the deputy executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Nicola Rawfast. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you liked what you heard, please leave us a review. You can subscribe now so that you never miss an episode. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast and more. Also, in these uncertain times, you can access analysis, opinion and advice from the experts every day with a digital subscription to The Times and The Sunday Times. Visit thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. See you tomorrow. Your History is a new podcast brought to you from The Times, and it brings together the real-life stories from our obituaries desk, which have been published for over a century. In this brand new show, we build on this legacy and explore the endlessly fascinating lives who have enriched and informed our own. 
Join me and our sponsor, Ancestry, as we journey through your history. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiance. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. <laughs>